This is the one and only warning you're about to get. This is uncut, it's raw, it's unedited. I'm telling you right now, before we get into this Sunday's message, prepare yourself. This is not business as usual. My name is Mike Signorelli. I'm the co-lead pastor of V1 Church here in New York. And I have just made the executive decision to leave everything in there because what happened in the room last Sunday caused a transformation, a seismic shift in the lives of so many people that I'm like, I don't know, I can't just start it when the preaching starts. I've got to give them the whole experience. And so if you're listening right now in headphones, maybe you're listening in your car, in your truck, in your van, maybe you're listening on some Google or Amazon product speaker in your home, whatever you're doing, I want you to make a commitment to lock in right now. And I want you to experience what God has for you. Don't let this just be another information junkie binge thing that you do to feed yourself. This has got to be transformation moment. This is this is going to be different. So without further ado, from our series, The Healthy Soul, this message is entitled Anchor for Your Soul. All right, you ready? Take a listen. Am I the only one who feels the presence of God here right now? Am I the only one who feels like you're literally going to explode right now if you don't just start? It's not the caffeine this time, by the way. There's an expectation in this room. There's an expectation in the Overflow Auditorium right now. There's an expectation online happening in a hospital room right now. There's an expectation. It is too easy to sing the words of these these songs that we sing on Sunday, particularly this one that says, Jesus, you change everything. Because it almost can sound like a command. Jesus, you do it. But what I heard in the spirit realm as we were singing this song, and listen, if you're an atheist here, I'm just going to offend you all the way to heaven today because I used to be an atheist and I read every book you read and more, and I'll duke it out with you afterwards in the lobby. But there is a spiritual realm that is more real than the one that you are experiencing with your five senses now. And how do I know that? Because it's eternal and this one's temporal. And for as many Christians who have messed up this phrase, I heard God say, because God never told them to go on a diet or love their wife better. But I will tell you, I heard in the spiritual realm an impression on my heart that Jesus said, yeah, I'll change everything, but are you willing to change everything? It sounds so good. Jesus, change my wife. Change my boss. Change my bank account without me working any additional hours. Jesus, change the leadership of this church because they're crazy. What if he's saying to you, why don't you change? And then I'll change everything. What if I told you that you will get something different if you do something different? Say, I won't. Say, I won't, V1 Church. Because we can't keep doing business as usual. Because if we do that, we're going to get the same results. 
But when you change the input, the output changes. See, when you, listen, let me, no, we've got some guests here who I am, I'm scaring you right now thoroughly. But the Bible, see, you might think that this music you're hearing and the, the way that we do things, we're just emulating what's happening in Madison Square Garden. But can I just tell you that God's got a mark, the market cornered on praise and worship and anything you've ever experienced at a concert is an emulation of the worship that he invented. And so I wanna tell you today, if you've been feeling stuck, if you've been feeling like you're just going through the motions, would you just say, I will change everything so that Jesus, then you could change everything. Would you be willing to be bold with me today? Can I change something today so that Jesus can respond? See, because there's this woman with the issue of blood and she went to all the doctors and see, she took all the medications and she had her routine about how she facilitated a disease that she had in her life and she tried to manage it with treatments. But then one day she heard this man was coming and his name was Jesus and she decided I'm gonna change everything about my routine. I'm gonna change what I do and then maybe he will change everything. And so as Jesus of Nazareth began to work his way through the crowd, she said, I, I tried the physicians, but I'm getting ready to touch the hem of the garment of the great physician. I'm going to change everything so that he can change everything. And so what I want to ask you to do is suspend your disbelief for a second. Somebody tell their neighbors, suspend your disbelief. I'm gonna teach you how to worship today. I was a worship leader for 10 years and it, it kicks in every once in a while. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, clap your hands. The Bible says, shout with the voice of triumph. The Bible says, bow down low. These are all the options you have because in the next few moments, we're getting ready to go buck wild crazy in here. Now watch this. Are you guys paying attention? Do I have your attention today? Is this more important than your phone right now? Okay, now watch this. Let me get a line of sight now. I'm gonna worship lead, you ready? All right, Aaron, I want you to start giving me a build right now. Come on, man, bring it up. Come on, 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 bring it up. Okay, get ready to cut. Now, did you feel that? Now, I want to tell you what the implications are for your life. That was a choice that I made. And that choice became a feeling in the atmosphere. So the feeling didn't come first. The choice came first. And that choice produced a feeling. I'm preaching to somebody here today. Somebody say, it's not a feeling. Somebody say, it's a choice. What if the greatest breakthrough in your life is on the other side of you surpassing your feelings to make a choice? And you see how when he started to build, we made a choice and that choice changed the atmosphere. You are an atmosphere changer. That's your destiny. If you call yourself a Christian, who gave your boss permission to set the atmosphere of your workplace? Oh, I'm preaching good even for the Presbyterians this morning. 
If you are a believer and the Holy Spirit dwells within you, who gave your abusive husband permission to cause the atmosphere of the home to be anything other than an atmosphere of worship? Oh, this works, baby. See, what works on Sunday works even better on Monday. I dare you to set an atmosphere like this in your home. I dare you to walk in your work and people are like, what's different today? Somebody invited the manifest presence of God into this place. I'm going to do an undercover boss and go into different workplaces and work with you for a week. And you're going to be like, what changed? I changed everything. So then Jesus changes everything. Can I teach you how to worship for a second? All right. Now that I scared all the guests, I'm the lead pastor, Mike Cinerelli, by the way. Sorry. People are going to pay money in a few hours to be in this same auditorium to watch an alien in a symbiotic suit eat people called Venom. And you'll pay money for somebody to be weird. So can I just be weird for a second? I know I ain't freaking you out. I've seen some of your Instagram stories. The Bible says lift up holy hands. Let me tell you something, single women. If he can't lift his hands in worship, he should never be allowed to hold your hands in marriage. Because lifting your hands in worship is a sign of surrender. And if he can't surrender to God, what makes you think he's going to surrender to you in an argument? If he can't humble himself before God, you think he's going to humble himself before you? I'm looking for the worshipers. I'm looking for the worshipers today in spirit and in truth. You know what happened? The Bible says clap your hands. You know why? Because when you make a noise, see some of you, all you know how to do is clap back. It's a perversion of true worship because some of you, when you start to clap your hands, you're going to change an atmosphere around you and a demonic infrastructure that's been built brick by brick in front of you is going to come collapsing down. Some of the walls in your life are cardboard thin, but you've only yelled at your wife instead of shouting unto the Lord. So, oh my, I'll preach it today to somebody hear me be one. Jesus changed everything except for me because I don't want to give up my porn addiction because my wife never gives it up to me. The devil is a liar. Now listen, this is not going to be the church for you if you don't want to change because my wife and I are not the most eloquent people you ever meet, but we do one thing very well. We do breakthrough. And it is impossible to stay around me long without changing follow me as I follow Jesus you know I'm getting convicted too don't look at me like that Julie so what we are going to do in this place here's your options your options are to clap unto the Lord your options are to lift up holy hands your options are to shout unto the Lord but as you begin to enter in and take the physical realm and begin to respond to the supernatural realm everything begins to change around you and for some of you who are new believers I know our church draws so many people who come from different traditions different religions atheists who have accepted Christ Greek Orthodox Jews who have accepted Christ as Messiah and so let this be your introduction to worship today I lost my mind twice in my life 
Once when I was 27 years old and found out that my dad died of a genetic brain disease and that I had a 50% chance of dying as well and developed alcoholism, I lost my mind. The second time I lost my mind, it was for the sake of Christ. Because you're either going to go crazy in this world or you're going to go radical. And I'll tell you what, crazy is a way that leads to death. But if you will become radical for God, if you'll say, if I lost my mind, I lost it for the sake of Christ. I've acknowledged that this is the true way. Yes, it's a narrow road and my friends may make fun of me. Yes, it's a narrow road and the temptations abound all up on the internet, all around me. But I'm gonna walk this narrow path and I'm gonna lose my mind for the sake of Christ. Because as we've been going through this Healthy Soul series, so many of you have only lost your mind to be crazy well can I just introduce you the gospel is lose your mind for the sake of Christ become a radical worshiper it's the only way I can explain the atmosphere that you have today here in this place as people have said there is no plan B and so what we're gonna do is we're gonna worship radically for like 30 seconds can you all help me out with that so we're gonna build it up and then all of a sudden we're gonna just release and some of you this may be the first time you've ever tried this but Come on, Aaron, help me out. Let's shift an atmosphere. One, two, one, two, three, go! something shift did you feel something rearranged in your life one of the most potent strategic warfare tactics you can do is a sneak attack somebody say sneak attack look over your shoulder the person like this go sneak attack you know the devil expects you to stay depressed you know that you don't the devil expects you to continue to harbor feelings against your spouse that are negative. You know the devil expects you to stay stagnant and blame the local church for why you're not growing. He expects you, somebody say sneak attack. See, you can't have a healthy soul until you're willing to freak the devil out. And him say, well, what just happened? They just clapped like that? You're, and then you know what he's gonna tell you? You're not like that. And then you know what you have to tell him? You don't know me, devil. Greater he that is in me than he that is in the world. If God be for me, who could be against me? I am the head and not the tail. I will move forward and not backward. I am blessing the city and blessing the field. I am healed. I am covered by the blood. I am healed by the stripes that he took. And nothing is going to hold me down or stop me. Somebody say it's a sneak attack. I gotta preach to you and we're gonna get out of here shortly. Let's pray. Father, <laughs> I just thank you for every person in this room right now, every person watching live, every person who's listening in, leaning into what you have to say. 
And Father, I thank you that to have a healthy soul, we've got to do something different than what we've been doing because what we've been doing got us here. It got us to this funk. It got us to this place of defeat. It got us to this place of stagnation. So we're going to do something different to have a healthy soul today. Father, I thank you for a church that worships in spirit and in truth, not about sensationalism, not about emotionalism, but about getting our bodies in line with what's already happened in the spiritual realm, which is a celebration because we are on the winning side. And so we fight from a place of victory, not for a place of victory. And we shout and we worship because we know we already won because this fight is fixed. And every single person shouted, amen. Come on, why don't you hug somebody as you find your seat and say, well, it's like that. Well, you can't say you didn't have fun at church today. Your friends are going to be like, what did you think about that church today? And here's what I'm going to give you your response. It was fun. <laughs> it was fun. I'll tell you what, man, worship works. I just don't care anymore. I just know too much. Have you ever been in that position? I know too much now. I've seen God do miracles. I could preach for the next four hours about all of his goodness and what he's done in my life and the lives of my friends and family. And even in this church, if I never gave you another scripture, I could tell you so many stories about God's goodness. Isn't God good? Has he been good to anyone here today? Okay, he's been good. Okay, if you did it, say yes. I want you to look around at all the people who did. And I want you to hear me when I say, if he did it for them, he can do it for you. Has God been good? Come on. I wore a sweater because I thought it would look cool. Now I can't stop sweating. See? Let's go to James chapter 4, verse 14. Uh, I'm going to read scripture to you today. You can follow along uh, on this digital screen behind me, um, or you can try to use your phone. And if you don't believe in the spiritual realm, watch the devil send you a whole bunch of notifications uh, during this message. And uh, I'm just kidding. For those people who don't know me are like, man, he is really weird today. Um, But I have a physical print Bible. It helps me with my very short attention span. And uh, I would just encourage you to go to James chapter 4, verse 14, and also take notes. I believe that when you take notes, it's a a sign of investment. And I think that God oftentimes is investing in our lives, but we don't slow down long enough to acknowledge it. And sometimes, like, I can't tell you how many counseling sessions that I've had with people where I've said, I preach an entire sermon about that topic you're still struggling with, and you were in the audience. I looked you in the eye when I said that main point. Just go back and listen to it. And they're like, I don't even remember you saying that. So we love to build a culture of note-taking in this church because we believe that we should all be students of Scripture. Maybe you came from a church where reading the Bible was not encouraged. Maybe you come from a church where it was mainly the, the pastor's job to teach and the pastor's job to know scripture. But can I just tell you, those who are capable of transferring knowledge are also capable of transferring error. You've got to know this thing for yourself. 
I'm just telling you, I encourage you to read the Bible. Get a good Bible. We're going to be reading out of the ESV today. Um, and it says this, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You know, many years ago, I had a Ford Ranger, like a little pickup truck. If you're from Indiana, they issue one to every 18-year-old male. Um, When you hit your birthday, your 18th birthday, they issue you a, a white Ford Ranger. And and so I was, I, I was a high school teacher, actually. Can you imagine that? Uh, Mr. Signorelli. I was mean, though. I'm straight up. I was not nice. I was mean. That was like my MO. They're like, his class is going to be tough, but you're going to learn something. And that was my style. So it wouldn't be cool to have me as a teacher, I guess. But I, I loved my job, and I would show up every day and give the kids everything I had. And, you know, but have you ever gotten into the routine of things? And when you're driving, like, anyone here have a commute? A couple people? Okay, we're about to get deliverance together today. (laughs) Commuting out here is brutal, man. It's like going to Mordor, right? I had to. (laughs) I had to. If you didn't get that joke, this church is also not for you. Sorry. (laughs) But (laughs) I heard somebody ask, what does it mean? What does it mean? Well, we're going to need about 19 hours. (laughs) So I was... uh, I was, I'm going to have to turn the crowd mics off for this podcast episode. But anyways, I was commuting to work and I had, you ever get like, so in your commute, you can do it almost blind. Like you just know it so well. And then you kind of like have the music going and you're singing and you just don't even care who's around you. Well, I was in that mode and I was driving down 8094 headed east and all of a sudden one of my rear tires exploded and I spun around multiple times. I mean, it happened so fast. I didn't even have a second to acknowledge like what was happening. Before you know it, I turn around like this and I'm facing the wrong way on the highway. And as I look in front of me, I've got probably three or four seconds before impact and I'm splitting a lane between two lanes and there are two huge semis barreling towards me. And, my, and, and you know, like you kind of have that matrix time experience where everything slows down. And in that moment, I think to myself, I have, I have a wife and a child. This is the last seconds I have on planet Earth. This is how it ends. I mean, that's literally what I thought in my head is I'm, not, I'm going to be hit by both of these trucks. There's no way I survive this thing. And this is how it ends for me. And do you know in the final seconds, I don't know how it happened, but both of them had the wherewithal to split in opposite directions. And actually, I I never got hit. And because it was Indiana, we don't have the traffic volume of New York. There was no one behind them. And I was able to jump out of my truck, get to the side of the road. Well, it was a couple hours later that I was in class, like shaking uncontrollably. It like caught up with me. You ever had one of those moments? And I was like, whoa. And I was thinking about this scripture that we just read, James chapter four, verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow brings. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time, and then that mist just vanishes. At that point, it would have just been a 20-something year mist. You know, thinking about this message, I, we, I, uh, I came from a like kind of gang territory uh, in South Chicago. I had a friend who was a high-ranking gang member who was tragically gunned down. Um, matter of fact, my good friend Joey Miranda preached his funeral. It was his brother, and over 400 gang members accepted Christ that day. 
Yeah, I think about my friend Corey Topp, who was my best friend growing up, and um, he was an incredible pitcher. He loved the game of baseball, and he was like aspiring. He had a lot of eyes on him, and um, all of a sudden, he, he was in his junior year of high school, and he threw, he threw his last pitch, won the game, and was walking off the field when he'd collapsed from a heart condition and just died right there in front of everyone. You know, life is like a mist. And as we come into this holiday season, I mean, how many of you are even maybe for the first time going to be mourning the loss of a loved one? And you just we have these acknowledgments in life like it goes too fast. We wish we had another dinner with them. We wish we had uh, another, another opportunity to hang with them. But life gives us these plot twists. Life gives us these unexpected experiences that shake our soul. And, and, and when that shaking happens, when everything's been removed that you thought was a sure foundation in your life, what do you do? What do you do when you walk in and they give you the news that they're downsizing at, at your job and you're the first one to go? I mean, these things happen to people every single day. And when you're in a healthy, good church like this, we help navigate those, we help you navigate those experiences. But this question brings me back to the book of Hebrews. So if you can turn with me, we're going to go to Hebrews uh, chapter 6, and it's verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And I, I, for me, this scripture has been, it didn't make sense. But can I break down to you what, it, what an anchor really is? You know, I don't know if you've ever been on a boat here at the Atlantic Ocean. We have Lake Michigan. It's a lot less exciting. Lake Michigan's kind of not as cool. We don't have sharks. We don't have sharknados. I'm just kidding. I don't. <laughs> that's another real phenomenon for the science-minded people. Um, but for us, uh, you know, an anchor maybe is something that's not familiar to you. But I was thinking about this scripture in Hebrews and see an anchor is unseen, an anchor is below the surface. And you know, recently uh, I was meditating on this scripture a lot. It says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the, in, into the innermost part behind the, the curtain. You know, it's funny because we try so hard to improve to help our soul. Here's the problems that I see often as I'm trying to lead people through freedom. We have a soul, we have this mind, we have our will, we have our emotions. And oftentimes people go to some things that do not have a soul to help their soul. So they say, you know what, if I can only get a house, see, that's why I'm in such a bad condition. But see, the problem with that is that a house doesn't have a soul. And so you can get the house, that's not going to fix your soul. And then I've said, people are like, man, you know, the problem is my car keeps breaking down, Pastor Mike. If I can get a better car, my soul would be in a better condition. The problem with that is your car, even though you call it a she, doesn't have a soul. Somebody just got rocked right now. They're like, no, he didn't just talk about my car like that. You know what I mean? Oh, these speakers. Oh, I love them. We, we do this personification in our lives where we attribute a soul to things that don't have a soul. And then we get so confused when they don't satisfy our soul. Okay, now I'm coming for you if you think you're better than that. Because I got some people like, I'm not materialistic. 
Well, you put on clothes today. You are. I'll find out where. I'll find out where your materialism is, okay? But then the other way that we try to improve our soul is by going. Now, this sounds logical. By going to other people who have a soul. That makes sense, right? So let me, so Pastor Mike, I mean, you know, he's, I'm going to sit down with him one time. He's going to solve all of my problems in 35 minutes. He has a soul that's not in the same condition as my soul. So I'm going to go sit with him and his soul is going to make my soul better. You want to know the problem with that? Is my soul's broken too. Have you ever sat down with a leader long enough to realize their soul's broken just like yours is? That's called disillusionment phase. When you're like, man, this church is the greatest church ever. Everyone here is so strong. They're going to pick me up to the level they are. And then you spend more than six minutes with them. And you're like, oh, snaps, we're all in trouble. (laughs) I just heard Pastor Mike get snooty with his wife. You say snooty. That's the non-Christian gossip word. He was snooty. And see, the problem with trying to satiate your soul with a relationship with someone who also has a soul doesn't mean people can't help you. Doesn't mean that God won't use broken people to actually let his light shine through them so that you can receive the truth of what he has for you. But then we have this problem. If things that don't have a soul can't satisfy my soul, if things that have a soul can't satisfy my soul, you know what you need? You need Jesus. You need the one who created your soul. You need the one who breathe your soul into your dirt body there's no matter how good you get your body to look and no matter how much of an instagram influencer you become because you put yourself doing squats every day on on instagram live i went there i went there it ain't gonna last somebody say it ain't gonna last now i used to teach english so i can break the rules that i know so i can say ain't don't challenge me okay And I'm reading out of the ESV today, not the passion, so you guys can back down, okay? (laughs) We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into this inner place behind the curtain. The anchor for our soul is not V1 Church, no matter how good of a church it is and will become. The anchor of my soul is not my pastors and leaders, because I'll tell you what, if I don't have enough time in my day for you, your soul's going to be in trouble. The anchor of my soul isn't my job that I'm banking on. The anchor of my soul is Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Sometimes you got to tell yourself that because you're not going to want to believe it because you're going to be tired of being single. And you're like, you know what anchor my soul? About 243 pounds of muscles laying in the bed. That'll anchor my soul. No, it won't. I rebuke that carnality. It'll help, though. I'm just saying it'll help. God doesn't want you to be alone if you don't want to be alone. But some of you might have the gift of singleness and not know it yet. Everyone grumbled. So, (laughs) John chapter 17, verse 12 is this. Before they, you take it down off the screen. Don't distract them. We have goldfish. See, I don't even know what I was going to say. No, I'm just kidding. We have the attention span of goldfish. But Jesus was having this conversation with God. And as he was having this conversation with God, which in a sense was having a conversation with himself, He was communicating some information that I think is valuable to you. He was saying like this. Look at at what it says in John chapter 17, verse 12. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. 
I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost. See, when your soul is shaking, when you don't feel like you have a sure foundation to stand on, if you will hide yourself in Christ, he will say to the Father what he said way back then that we have immortalized in Scripture. Every single person, God, that you entrusted me with, I never lost one of them. And you know what's funny? Because recently my wife, and I love my wife so much, I'm married way up. Did anyone else here marry up? See, that was your chance to get some cool points. You missed it. Um, I... So here's the thing about her. She was a swimmer in high school. And I was appalled when I discovered 15 years ago when we were dating that she is deathly afraid of open bodies of water. So, which didn't make sense because she swims better than anyone I've ever seen swim before. And then we, I kind of took her on this journey where I was like, come on, babe, let's go swim in Lake Schaefer. Lake Schaefer, the, only, the biggest thing in it is a carp this big, Right. And so then I got her to do that. I remember her family being amazed, like, you got Julie to swim in an open body of water. That's incredible, right? So then she keeps going on that journey. Now, fast forward, we move out here to launch this church. And you know, my wife comes out of nowhere and says, I want to buy a kayak. I'm like, have, do you know how many predators are in the Atlantic Ocean? I can save you from carp. I cannot save you from the stuff in there. And she was like, no, no, babe, I really want this. I, I want this kayak. This is like total. So she finds a kayak on, uh, just in case you think we're balling, we're not balling. She found it on, on Facebook Marketplace, which it's more dangerous to go meet people off Facebook Marketplace to buy something than it is to go kayak in the ocean. I'm just saying. You ever seen How to Catch a Predator? Okay. That show took place in New York. That's when one of my childhood memories triggered the other day. And I was like, oh, wow, that was here. Bella, what are you doing right now? <laughs> Let me see your iPad. So my wife goes and buys this kayak. And I go into the church office and walk in. And she has stood it up, all 15 feet of it, in my office. And I worked my entire life to get that office. And now I have a kayak in there. So she takes it out one day during lunch and she, cause she's gone for like an hour and a half and she comes back and she's telling me, I went like, well, what was it like? Cause she went into a little inlet into the ocean off of Amityville. And she like said, oh, you know, row, row, row your kayak. <laughs> and so she works, she said, I got to the certain point where it opened up and now I could no longer see any landmass. And she's like, I got out for, uh, far enough to realize that what I did was crazy. She got out there and she was like, wait a second, what did I just do? And she turned it around and started rowing back as fast as she could. And that was like her incredibly huge exploit with the, the kayak. But the reason why I tell that story is because as I was thinking about this anchor for your soul, I realized that many of us have conjured up enough courage to get in our little kayak we call our life. And maybe we rode that thing out far enough to get down the aisle to get married. Maybe we took that kayak out far. Now people are like, oh, he's stretching it now. Okay, let me stretch it. You shut up. <laughs> and we row that kayak out far enough. And, and we're, we're so, you know, it's funny because we often, when we have our heart and mind made up about something, we, we stop calculating the cost. You know, like when I first wanted to get with Julia, all I could think about was, rar, I want that girl. I didn't calculate the cost of being a good husband and leading our family in all godliness and righteousness. I just wanted to make out with her. You know, sometimes when you want to plant a church, you don't think about people ODing on heroin for the fourth time in the middle of the night and you having to leave the comfort of your bed to do it. You just get your heart and mindset of, we're going to do a ministry. Woo! 
When you, when you join the worship team, you're not thinking about the fact that we don't have music stands and you're going to have to practice for 19 hours that week because you've never done worship without a music stand. <laughs> See, but what happens is we get our hearts and our minds made up about things and we stop calculating the cost. And to a certain extent, we need that. It's kind of like these rose-colored glasses that God enables us to put on long enough to get us out into the deep. And sometimes you'll just go, you'll go along with it for long enough and God's drawing you out into the depths. He's drawing you out. And it's when you get into the depth. You know, there's this story that many of you know in scripture where Jesus was on a boat. It wasn't a kayak. It was a little bit larger, but he had the disciples with them and he was asleep. And scripture gives an account that as the storm began to rage, as the winds and the waves and the water begin to rage around them, I mean, some of them even said, he brought us out here to kill us. I mean, how are we gonna survive through this? And they woke him up and he just got up like a gangster and was like, wind be still, be quiet. The whole thing suddenly became still. But I think that we have this account of how Jesus deals with it because he didn't take you out this far to kill you. Did you hear me? God didn't get you here to not get you there. God didn't get you this far for this to be how the story ends. And even though some of you are already getting ready to do 180 degree and return back to safety, I love what the psalmist says in Psalm chapter 61, verse two, for the end of the earth, from the end of the earth where I can't even see land anymore. I got myself so far out into this church thing, so far out into Christianity, so far out into singleness, so far out into marriage. I got myself to the point where I can't even see any land around me. It says this, when my heart is faint, when my soul is shaking. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I am. Lead me to the rock that is higher. When your soul is overwhelmed, when you feel like you can't take another step, lead me to the rock that is higher than I am. See, my wife, she got far enough on that kayak journey. She was so consumed with what she wanted to do that she just forgot to calculate the cost. And then when she suddenly became aware, wait, there's creatures all around. I mean, there's things that are so big in this Atlantic Ocean that they can just jump up and scoop me in their mouth in one single bite. And that was enough to cause her to turn around. Some of you are in this place now where you begin to calculate the cost and you become aware, man, like, how can I do this? Have you ever been a pl in a place where you're, you're giving it everything you've got and the only thing you can surrender to is this thought, how can I pull this off? Who am I to even be trying to do this? Do you know that one of the biggest indicators that you are in the will of God is that you don't feel qualified to do the thing that you've set your hand to do? Do you know that one of the biggest indicators that you are now stepping into the greatness that God has foreordained and destined for your life is you will look at the thing in front of you and say, I can't do this. You'll look at the broken pieces of all the things in your house that in a moment of anger you trashed. You'll, you'll, look, at, you'll look at the amount of debt that accumulated as you begin to respond in fear and stress and anxiety over and over and over again. And you'll say, God, who am I to do this thing? Do you know what stress is? See, stress is this biological wiring that we all have that's supposed to be a protective measure. 
See, stress is when your mind tells you you're going to come under a physical attack or that there's going to be a scarcity of food. And what I think is so crazy about the society in which we live nowadays is that because we're not anchored to anything, because our soul, our mind, and our will, and our emotions are anchored to anything, we take this biological wiring of stress and we respond the same way the world does. You know what stress will tell you? Stress will tell you eat as much food as you can because you don't know if food's ever coming again. And you'll begin to respond to that stress and you'll begin to eat and eat and eat for an event that never takes place. Stress will tell you to run. It's a fight or a flight. And all of a sudden you'll start running a hundred miles in the wrong direction, responding to that stress for a thing that never even happens. And it's funny to me because we're not facing woolly mammoths anymore. We're just facing the battlefield of our own mind and we're responding in a physical realm to something that's never even going to happen to most of us and it's wrecking our bodies it's wrecking our relationships some of us are constantly in fight mode fighting our wife fighting our spouse fighting our friends fighting our boss i mean fighting our tr the traffic around us i mean we are perpetually caught in fight because the stress is internalized it said we have to fight and you can find no peace but when you learn that Jesus, like that ancient author of the book of Hebrews said, is the anchor to my soul. And your atheistic friends aren't going to understand because that anchor is underwater. It's not visible. In God's sovereignty, in God's wisdom, he chose to be ubiquitous because he knew if he was in one place at one time, it was not the best idea. But Jesus himself said, I'm ascending to heaven and it's actually better that I go because I'm going to send one called the Holy Spirit, who's your comforter. And it's better that I'm not in one body at one place because the Holy Spirit, the unseen, is going to be deposited inside of you after the finished work of the cross, and it's going to anchor your soul. And then when people look at that little kayak, that little life in the ocean of problems, in the ocean of abuse, in the ocean of impossibility, they're going to have to say, something is anchoring that kayak. There's no way it can survive those winds. There's no way it can survive those waves. Something's anchoring that kayak. Maybe you feel so insignificant. Maybe you feel so small. Maybe you feel like it's so impossible, but you've got a big anchor on a small kayak today. Let the winds come. Let the waves come. The people of V1 Church are going to be found like this. You are worthy. Jesus, change everything. Jesus, you can do it. We're going to be found in a posture of worship. Would somebody stand to your feet with me here today? Maybe you're feeling that nudge from God right now. You are not going to quit. You are not going to quit. I'm just going to keep saying it until you get a revelation of it. You are not going to quit. You are not going to quit. What if I told you that the greatest breakthrough of your life is on the other side of you not surrendering to your feelings anymore? He's an anchor for your soul, an anchor for your soul. Lead me to the rock that is higher than me. 
I want to say something before we pray this thing out. I'm just going to speak. I feel like there's somebody in this room who feels like because of your age, and I'm not even saying that this is, the age is irrelevant. You could be at any phase in life, and this, this, there's somebody here, though, you feel like you missed it. You feel like you missed it. You feel like I shoulda, coulda. I had a window, I was inconsistent. I didn't go hard enough. I didn't go, you feel like there was this window of time and you missed it. And, and I feel compelled to tell you that God is the God of acceleration. That God can do in a moment what a whole lifetime of striving would never produce. I'm here to tell you that you are gonna be a recipient of the supernatural acceleration of God if you will surrender in this next season. You did not miss it. Your finest hour is still yet to come. It is not over. It might be the 11th, 12th round of the fight. You might have left the arena, but God is going to drive you back into the arena, walk you back in, prop up that dummy called the devil, and let you knock him out because he already won it already. I don't know why, but through this whole series, I just have felt such an unction in me at the end of these sermons just to speak what God has specifically tailored for people. Because the Bible says that the word is alive, which means it's for you right now. You are not done. You haven't seen your finest hour and you will not quit. I, I just, I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. Can this church be the kind of church where people refuse to let each other quit? Can we be that kind of church where we look, no, no, you are, you, you are gonna be the best wife ever. What if that was your gossip train? Oh man, did you hear that she is the best wife ever in the making right now? It's easy to talk about people's problems. What if you talked about their destiny? I wanna be that kind of place where we refuse to let each other quit. What if the next time somebody tells you that you're about to, they're about to lose their mind, then you respond to them, what if you lost her for Christ this time? Yeah, let it go. Let your mind go. What if God's trying to bring you to the place where you break, but the right things break this time? What if he is trying to break you? What if he is trying to take you back, your, back past your own expectations where you can see through that curtain like Hebrews said? We're going to make a moment right now just to close this thing out. But man, isn't God good? Does your soul feel just a little bit healthier already? Yeah. Things in motion want to stay in motion. You hear that? Things in motion want to stay in motion. That is a principle. That is a law that governs the physical realm. Do you know it works spiritually too? I'm an introvert. I get little or no satisfaction from being in front of groups of people, but I obey the Lord. And I started doing this when I was 15 and I kept it in motion and things in motion want to stay in motion. People, do you know people who sleep, who oversleep their body actually governs this mechanism that causes them to want to sleep more? Do you know that more sleep isn't even a cure for the need of more sleep? Are you getting a revelation? Some of you want to stop doing that is not the answer. Things in motion want to stay in motion. 
Some of you are like, well, maybe if I scale back, it'll get better. No, maybe if you did the right things, said no to the right things, and started saying yes to the right things, things in motion would want to stay in motion. This is a momentum-building season for your life. But, it's, but every bit of momentum, the train, those trucks that were barreling forward didn't start at 65 miles an hour, but they wanted to stay at 65 miles an hour. Do you hear me? They started from a stop position and they picked up so much momentum that even slamming on the brakes wouldn't stop them. See, if you will take the first step towards Jesus today, you will begin to pick up so much momentum if you can sustain it through consistency that even when the devil slams the brakes and puts a mountain in front of you, you will blow through that mountain. And momentum will do the work that you could never do on your own. But it starts with one step, one movement. So everyone just close your eyes. This is that, mo that movement, that moment right now. This is when some people who are stopped start. Thank you so much for getting all the way to the end of this message. I believe that something did happen. And here, I'm going to just challenge you right now. Do not keep this word to yourself. I think one of the most dangerous things we can do is receive healing and keep our healing. The Bible says that those who refresh others, they themselves will be refreshed. And so the way that you are going to be refreshed right now is to take the link to this podcast and share it with someone you love. Share it with a friend. Shoot, share it with an enemy. I mean, this is something that God did in your life, but God doesn't minister to you. He desires to minister through you. And so the best way that you can help us out right now is by sharing this message with somebody that needs it so badly. And listen, V1, we talk about being the alpacas because alpacas will literally die of loneliness. Often, and this might sound random, and it kind of is, but alpacas are purchased in twos because there's a phenomenon where left alone, their immune system weakens and they will often die in isolation. So V1, if you're listening to this, you are our, our virtual alpacas. I mean, this is your spiritual family wherever you're at in the world. We had someone tuning in from Zambia, someone tuning in from Belize, someone tuning in from Kentucky, all over. And I want to let you know that you are family, you are loved. Hit us up at v1.church. Yes, not .com, v1.church. And click that connect button where you can actually leave us a message and uh, tell us a little bit more about what God's doing in your life. Anyways, this is Mike Signorelli, and I will see you next week.